In case you haven't seen that uh, movie, it's uh, the movie Shadowlands, and uh, Jack is uh, C.S. Lewis, who wrote the book that I just recommended that you, uh, that you read, The Problem of Pain. And uh, he's, he's there uh, at the death of his wife, who is ironically named Joy, and uh, he lost her uh, in 1960. They were married, I think, in about 1956, and she died of cancer in 1960. Lewis had written uh, The Problem of Pain in 1940, and as I mentioned earlier, it's maybe one of the greatest intellectual treatises on the problem of pain. And as he says in the preface, he says, the only purpose of this book is to solve the intellectual problem raised by suffering. And yet when his wife died, uh, you know, I wonder how much comfort his book was to him. He knew the answers, you know, he knew all the answers. He wrote the book. Uh, that gave the answers to the intellectual issues surrounding the problem of pain. And yet he said to his friends, you know, don't tell me it all works out for the best. Don't give me just the pat answers. Don't give me the answers that I already know. I know those. I need something more. Uh, the intellectual answers weren't sufficient for him. And what, where Lewis found his real comfort, where he found his real peace, ultimately was not in those intellectual answers, but in his relationship with Jesus Christ, in the knowledge that he had a God who loved him, who cared about him, and who shared in the grief and in the suffering that he himself was going through at that point. You know, when we think of the Bible, uh, God didn't just give us a theology textbook that gives us intellectual answers, though there are many uh, good answers to some of these questions in the Bible. Uh, He gave us his son, Jesus, who entered into the world to deal with the brokenness, the fallenness, the pain, the grief, and the suffering. And that's what I want us to look at this morning. I want us to look at a story in the Bible in which Jesus and his friends uh, deal with sickness and and death in the life of a loved one. Uh, It's a story, and and by calling it a story, I don't mean to to cast a question about its historicity. I I think it's true. I I believe it's true. I know it's true. It actually did happen. But it's a story nevertheless. And see, you know, the Bible is full of stories. As I said, God doesn't just give us a textbook. He gives us his son who came into the world as a human being to suffer and to live and to die. And he wrote so much in the form of stories because he knows that we live our lives in a sense as a story. What's the story of your life? What's the story of my life? And so he gives us real-life stories of real-life people who dealt with real-life situations so that we can have an idea of how to live our lives. And so this is one of my favorite stories uh, in the New Testament. It's in John chapter 11. And it's a, it's a long story, but I want to read it because I just think it's so powerful Uh, to read what the Bible has to say in these kind of situations. So John chapter 11, starting at verse 1. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. And it was Mary who had anointed uh, the Lord, that's Jesus, with ointment, and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It's for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. And then after he had said this to the disciples, he said, let's go to Judea again. Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. 
The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's asleep, he'll, he'll recover. And Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant he was just resting. And so Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. And Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know he'll rise in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary saying in private, the teacher is here and he's calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw that Mary rose quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come to her, come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and he was greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how much he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? And then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there's going to be an odor. He's been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and he said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I knew that you always hear me. But I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And the man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped in a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him, and let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. It's a true story of how Jesus entered into our broken world to deal with the problem of pain, to deal with the problems of why bad things happen to good people. And you know, the fact is, we live in a broken world. It's not the way that it ought to be. People get hurt. People die. We get sick. You know, we hurt each other. And whether it's as mundane as allergies or whether it's as, as devastating as, as uh, cancer, whether it's a, as close as the loved one who's ill or whether it's as far away as the genocide going on in Darfur, I think all of us understand uh, that we live in a broken world, uh, that this world is not 
the way that it ought to be. It's not the way that God created it. When he made it, it was perfect. You know, and if you read the opening chapters of the Bible, it says over and over and over again, as God created each part of, of the world in which we live, it, it says, and it was good, and it was good, and it was good. And on the last day, when God finished all of his creative work, he looked at it, what he had created and he said, and it was very good. And it was perfect. There was no pain. There was no sickness. There was no death. There was no hurting of one another. It was great. And then it broke. And, and the world's broken not because of anything that, that God did. It's, it's broken because of, uh, of what we did. God created us with free will. He gave us the opportunity to choose either to, to trust him or to not trust him. And we chose not to trust him. And that, you know, you see that in, in the third chapter, the you know, fourth, fifth, sixth page of the Bible. We chose to trust ourselves in our own eyes and what we saw and what we thought as opposed to what God said is the way things ought to be. And so the world is broken as a result of what we chose to do. And so now we have the sickness, we have the death, we have the pain, uh, we have the sorrow, we have the grief. And you know, God is grieved, God is upset, God's sorrowful over the brokenness of the world that he created. And in the story we just read, you know, we see it there. Uh, Lazarus, who's one of Jesus' closest friends, he becomes ill. You know, Jesus spent time hanging out with Mary and Martha and, and Lazarus. He was at their house on a number of occasions. They were good friends. And Jesus was sad. He was upset. He was bothered when he heard that Lazarus was ill. When he learned that Lazarus had died, he was upset. Take a look at how he, he responds in verses uh, 33 to 35. When Jesus saw Martha and Mary weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said, Lord, come and see. You know, and at first glance, when, I, when you look at this, it seems that Jesus is, is uh, upset at Lazarus' death. And he is. He's sad because his friend has died and because his other friends are mourning the loss of Lazarus. But I think there's more going on to it than that. In, in verse 35, when uh, John says that Jesus was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled, he's speaking of Jesus' indignation at Lazarus' death. The words that John uses there are, are used actually in a non-religious context of horses snorting. You know, so it's Jesus is essentially saying, why is it? You know, what is going on here? This is not the way that I created it. It's not the way it's meant to be. You've got the creator of the universe who comes down and experiences and sees and lives in the midst of the broken world and he's outraged by it. And he's also emotionally moved. He's hurt as he sees his friends suffering at the loss of their brother. And so the world is broken and God is grieving over the brokenness of the world. He's not some God who's kind of sitting off in heaven in his easy chair, kind of watching the situation. No, he gets down and he gets involved in the world. You know, it, this raises a lot of questions. Why is the world the way it is? You know, as we mentioned, well, short answer, and it's just a really short answer because there's so much more we could say. Why is the world the way it is? Well, we broke it. God gave us a choice. We made the wrong choice. 
we broke the world. Much more could be said about that. And the book that uh, C.S. Lewis wrote spends a long time discussing that. I really encourage you to read that because it gives a much fuller answer than I can do in, you know, in 15 or 20 minutes here. Why is there suffering? Why is there pain? Why doesn't God just fix it right away? Does he care? Can he do something about it? Does he really want to do something about it? I think the answer is, yeah, he does care. He does do something. He does want to do something about it. And he has done something about it. He came into our world in the person of Jesus Christ, became a man, and he suffered. He lived with us. He felt our pain. He experienced the pain that we had. He sympathized with it. He empathized with it. And he died on the cross and rose again to rescue us from this broken world. You know, the, the only real comfort that C.S. Lewis found in the death of his wife was in knowing Jesus Christ, in knowing him, in the relationship that he had with him, in the faith that he had in him. Yes, the intellectual answers were helpful, but ultimately it was the God who became a man and suffered who was the comfort to C.S. Lewis when he lost his wife, Joy. Take a look at, uh, at what... Jesus told Martha in verses 25 and 26, Jesus said to her, I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Jesus is telling Martha, he's saying to her essentially, I came into this world to rescue it. I'm the resurrection. I'm the life. I'm the one who's here to deal with the brokenness of this world. And immediately, at that moment, what he's doing is he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. And that's how Martha hears it at first, but he says, no, it's deeper than that. Yeah, Lazarus is going to rise. I'm going to take care of this immediate problem. But you know what? Lazarus died again. He's the only guy that ever died twice. You know, He died again, and so... By raising him from the dead the first time, did Jesus ultimately solve the problem? No. He didn't ultimately solve it simply by raising Lazarus from the dead. Ultimately, he solved the problem when he died on the cross and when he rose again. And Jesus is saying, if you trust me, if you believe in me, if you follow me, you can have that life because I'm the resurrection, I'm the life, I'm the one who came to provide you with eternal life in the future, but also with life here on the earth. It's how life goes on in the midst of the loss of your brother or the loss of your son or the loss of your mother or the whatever the particular situation may be. Jesus is saying, come to me, come to me and I'll provide you with the life that you're looking for. And that's what he's saying to Mary and to Martha. And so what we've got is, we've got a God who's not just sitting up there in heaven kind of watching the situation unfold either unable or unwilling, uninterested to to do something about it. We've got the God who came to the earth and suffered and died and rose again because he loves us, because he wants to do something about it. And so he did. And as I was reading the story of, of Mary and Martha and Lazarus this week, I was struck by something that you know, I hadn't actually really thought about before, and I don't know how many dozens of times I've read this story before. I was struck by the relationship that Mary and Martha had with Jesus. 
You know, if you look at it, their brother had died and they're upset and they're even asking the question that we all ask. They're saying, you know, essentially, Lord, if you'd been here, he wouldn't have died. But their response is not to turn away from him and not to say, you know, so why didn't you do something? Don't you care? The response is to turn towards him and say, help me, Jesus. You know, I'm sad. I'm upset about the situation. And, and that's what happens to us when tragedy strikes, whether it's big or whether it's little. Each time, it gives us a choice. We can either turn away from God and say, forget you. I don't want you. I'm not interested in you because you allowed this to happen. Or we can turn to him for comfort and say, we live in a broken world and you're the one that's here to fix it. So help me, so encourage me, so lift my spirits in this situation. And that's what Mary and Martha did. And they did that because they knew him so well, because they had that relationship with him. As I was saying, you know, they had spent hours and hours with Jesus. They knew what he was like. They knew his character. They knew that he cared for them. They knew that he loved them. And so in their hour of need, instead of turning away from him, they turned to him. They said, hey, Jesus, come and help us in this situation. And that's really the challenge for us, you know, isn't it? Do we know him well enough that we really trust him? That in spite of the fact, and it's just a fact, we live in a broken world with suffering, with pain, with death, with, with loved ones who are taken away from us, with people who don't understand us, with people who don't care about us, with people who want to hurt us, in spite of the fact that we live in this broken world, do we know Jesus Christ well enough to trust him and to turn to him like Mary and Martha did, like C.S. Lewis did uh, in our hour of need. For me, as I, as I think about that question, something that really helps me is to think through what it is that Jesus went through when he was on the earth. What, it, what he went through when he lived his life as a man, as a human being, on the earth, uh, what he went through to rescue us from this broken world. I just want to share with you just, I don't know, half a dozen, six, eight different things that I I was thinking about this week uh, about this. First of all, Jesus was born as a Jew. And you say, so what? You know, he was born as a Jew. What's the big deal? You know, lots of Jews in the world then, lots of Jews in the world now. Yeah, that's true. But when Jesus was born as a Jew, he was born into Roman-occupied Palestine and where the Jews were an oppressed people. And so Jesus grew up, uh, you know, as a part of a people group that was being occupied by the Romans. And the Romans weren't the nicest guys around. And so he grew up with, you know, with some suffering just by virtue of the fact of his race, of his ethnicity. So he knows what it's like to be part of an oppressed minority, at one point during his ministry, uh, Jesus' family thought that he was insane. And they actually tried to, to get him. If it were today, they'd want to have him committed to the mental institution because they said, you're nuts, Jesus. Does he know what it's like to have family who don't understand him, who don't understand why he's doing what he's doing, who are not supportive of what he's doing? Yeah, the Bible makes that very clear. How about towards the end of his life? You know, near the end of his life, the night before he died, He went off to pray and he said to his friends, to his closest friends, he said, hey, stay here and watch while I pray. And what'd they do? They fell asleep. You know, his closest friends fell asleep and then later on they deserted him in his hour of need. When he was off being taken off to this trial, 
they deserted him. And one of them, Peter, probably his second closest friend next to John who wrote this gospel, uh, Peter denied him and says, I don't know him. You ever have a friend, a business partner, you know, kind of stabs you in the back, turns away from you? Does, does Jesus know what it's like to be betrayed? Yeah, he was betrayed by Judas, his trusted friend. Judas was one of the 12 disciples. Jesus chose him. It wasn't like Judas was forced upon Jesus. Jesus chose Judas to be one of his close, intimate friends. He was the, Judas was the treasurer of Jesus' band of, uh, you know, of disciples. And yet Judas betrayed Jesus uh, for, 30, you know, for 30 silver coins. He turned him over to the authorities whom Judas and Jesus both knew were going to have Jesus killed. You know, so, yeah, we could say Jesus never was married, so he didn't have a spouse, you know, a husband, a wife who was unfaithful, who ran off, who picked somebody else rather than me. But he certainly knows what it's like to be betrayed because he was betrayed by a close friend. He was convicted on false charges. You know, at, at Jesus' trials, and there were actually several trials, at one of them specifically, it's mentioned uh, that they couldn't find anything against him because he was innocent. He had done absolutely nothing wrong. When we talk about bad things happening to good people, there is no question Jesus was the best person who ever lived. And yet at his trial, they brought false witnesses, witnesses who lied. And and the irony of the whole situation is they couldn't even get their story straight. If you read in Mark chapter 15, the people who they brought as witnesses against him couldn't get their story straight. And yet they still decided to convict him of, of, of crimes that he had never committed. And after he was convicted, he was tortured. They used whips, they beat him, they took a crown of thorns, not just, you know, the sort of cute little thorns on a rose bush. These things were really long, jammed it into his head, you know, and so he was tortured. And then when he died, he died an excruciatingly painful death. And, you know, I don't know where you stand on the whole capital punishment debate, whether you think it's a good thing or a bad thing. I don't care about that now, but think about the society in which we live. At least there's a discussion about whether it's humane or not, whether it's right or wrong, whether lethal injection is cruel and unusual punishment. You know the discussion surrounding capital punishment back in the society, in the Roman society in which Jesus lived, was not how can we make it as unpainful as possible, it was how can we make it as painful? How can we make it as cruel as possible? And so crucifixion was designed to exact excruciating pain from the person being killed. And that's what Jesus went through on the cross. So when we ask the question, does God care? Does God know what it's like? Has he been through anything like this? The resounding answer is absolutely yes. Jesus himself went through every kind of experience, every kind of painful experience that we ourselves can go through and so he knows what it's like and he says yeah i know what it's like i care that's why i came we have a god who has suffered and really in a sense who continues to suffer with us who's there in the midst of our pain and so for me it makes it easier for me to deal with the situations in my life. You know, a my, my, uh, number of you know that my father uh, was diagnosed with cancer uh, probably about this time last year, just a few months before I came here to Renaissance. And on September 1st of this past year, he passed away from cancer. And, you know, if any of you have seen someone pass away from cancer, it's a horrible death. 
You know, it's, it's a painful death. And, and for me, this passage in John chapter 11, reflecting on the fact that Jesus has been there, that he's dealt with that, looking at this passage and seeing the kind of, uh, of situations that Jesus found him in, that gave me some comfort. It, it comforts me to know that Jesus shares my sadness, that he hates death, that he's not a God who isolates himself from human suffering. He's a God who cares enough to have entered into it. Think about some of the different religions in the world. What does Hinduism say? It's karma, you know? It's what you did in the last life. Too bad. Do a better job this time, it'll be better next time. Buddhism. What is Buddha, what's Buddhism's answer? Take away all your desires. If you could just not desire anything, you'd never suffer. Jesus suffered. Jesus desires. He wants. That's not the kind of God that we have who says, put away your desires. What about Islam? It's essentially a fatalistic religion. Allah is sovereign. He does what he does, and who can know, and who are we to question him? Jesus himself suffered, and he cares about us. That's the kind of God that we have. Mary and Martha, you know, they spent countless hours with Jesus. They knew him well. They knew that he loved them, and and that's why he trusted them. That's why uh, they believed in him. And let me encourage you, wherever you are in your journey of faith, whether you've been a follower of Christ for you know, 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 or more years, whether you're just kind of starting out on your journey of faith, or maybe you're here for the first time and you're saying, I don't know, you know, I don't really know about this whole Jesus thing. A friend brought me, and, and yeah, I'd like to learn a little bit more, but no, I'm not seriously a follower of Christ. Wherever you are on this journey of faith, let me encourage you to keep going to keep exploring, to keep taking that next step, to keep getting to know who Jesus is. Make the time, and it takes time. You can't just kind of think about it on Sunday morning. It takes time to get to know who Jesus is. And there's so many different ways that you can do that. You know, reading the Bible is, is obviously an incredibly good way because it's God's book about his intervention in human history. We got Bibles on the book rack downstairs if you don't have one. And if you don't know where to start, begin in the Gospel of John. You know, this, this section in which uh, we're reading the story of Lazarus. Great place, great place to begin. Maybe you got questions, you know, about the problem of pain, about why there's suffering and that sort of thing that I haven't been able to answer in 25 minutes this morning, you know. It's a much bigger topic than that. Read C.S. Lewis's book, three or four other books out there that could be helpful to you. Get involved in one of the discussion groups that we have that goes on during the week, both during the day and during the evenings. Ask questions. That's what we're here for, is to, to explore who Jesus is and how we can have a relationship with him. Shoot me an email. Give me a call or Rich. We'd love to get together with you, meet with you, and talk to you more about this, this relationship that we can have with Jesus, about how we can be a follower of him and how that can make a difference in our lives as we live in this broken world. And so wherever you are, whether it's at the beginning or a long way along in your journey of faith, let me encourage you to make the time to get to know Jesus better. Because as we live in this broken world, I think the only real comfort that we can find is to know that we have a God who cares enough to have entered into the world, to have shared in that suffering, to have died himself so that we can have life in him. Let me ask you guys to stand. I want to pray for us. I want to close this in prayer and then, and then uh, send you on your way. Father, I thank you that you're not a God who sits up there on a, on a 
padded throne watching us down here, kind of like it's, a, it's some sort of a movie uh, for your entertainment. I thank you that you're a God who's, who's gotten involved, who came and, and injected yourself into human history in the, in the person of Jesus Christ, who lived and who suffered like we do and who died, uh, that we might have uh, life with you, both here now and, and for eternity, that we don't have to be afraid of death because we've got a God who loves us and a God who cares for us. And Father, I pray for myself and for each of us here that you'd just, as we go on in our lives, that you'd give us a deeper and deeper understanding of who you are, of how much you love us, about how much you care for us. And Father, I pray that as you do so, we might find comfort and and hope as we live in the midst of a broken world. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.